Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Highway to Hoover podcast, a production of SEC Extra. I am your host, Joe Healy, joined, as always, by my podcast partner and partner over at SEC Extra, Mark Etheridge. We are continuing our SEC team preview podcast episodes today. We're going to talk about the Vanderbilt Commodores. But before we do that, I have to tell you that this podcast and all Highway to Hoover podcasts this season are brought to you by Brock's Gap Brewing Company in Hoover, Alabama, a partnership that we are super excited about, Mark and I, the rest of the D1 crew. We've got some cool things coming down the pike with those guys over at Brock's Gap Brewing Company. Nothing to announce just yet, but stay tuned for it. Mark and I are looking forward to spending a little time there at the SEC tournament. They have a beautiful tap room space, right? Just really right off the parking lot of the Hoover Met. So if you are going to be in town for the SEC tournament in May, make plans to stop by Brock's Gap Brewing Company. Mark talking about Vanderbilt today, and it's a it feels it's funny. It feels like a program that's in transition a little bit. It feels like a season of transition, if you will. And it they were one win away from a national title just two years ago. And that feels like longer ago just because last season they finished under 500 in conference play in the regular season. And it's not something that we're used to seeing out of Vanderbilt. And so it's made them being one step away from a national title field further away in some strange way. And then the fact that the roster just looks fundamentally different than the rosters that we've, for the most part, seen out of Vanderbilt the last couple of years. So I think all that combined has made this feel a little bit like a reset year for the Commodores, which is not to say the expectations are high. We have them ranked number 10 in the preseason. So clearly expectations are still high for this group, but but how do you feel about, are you with me a little bit on, or not, on the idea that this does feel a little bit like a reset of a year for Vanderbilt, or at least what Vanderbilt looks like to us? Yeah, they're a hard eval for me because there is some definite high-end talent, right? And then traditionally, Vandy would have that next tier of guys either were capable of stepping in and performing at a high level, or maybe they were just grinders who performed, right? Either talented guys who haven't done it yet or guys, older guys who just battled and figured it out. And, and that's where we have questions about because there are some of that, that next tier they just haven't done it, not at the level that Bandy needs them to. So I think that's really where this season's going to go for me. I think I'm not worried about the high-end guys. They're probably going to perform where you need them to. It's, it's, can they pull everyone else along with them to get where Bandy expects to be, which is hosting a regional and going to Super and getting back to Omaha? Because last year, they were pretty close. They were They had a chance to be there. They just lost a few too many conference games. Maybe two games flip, they're probably hosting because their RPI was there. So it was just that that's how close the margin for error is in this conference. No doubt. It, I think it, the way you describe their roster is a little bit how I would describe the way last year went for them in that their highs were pretty high. Not only were they just a couple of wins away from hosting a regional, but then they went to Corvallis and not an easy place to play and pushed Oregon State. And had they won that, they end up playing Auburn, which is a comfortable, not to say that Auburn wouldn't have won that super, they very well could have and would have been favored playing at home, all of that. But they they certainly have a level of comfort with playing. They play Auburn all the time, or at least fairly often, right? So that just would have been, a, their season could have played out entirely differently with just a couple of wins here or there at different times. And regardless, they go into this season, expectations high again. Let's get into it a little bit here. If you're just joining us, if you're a Vanderbilt fan and this is your first episode in our preview series, or if you're just hopping in at this point in the process, 
After a quick intro, Mark and I will go back and forth talking about what we like about this team, the questions we have about this team, and then we'll wrap up by talking about the things that have to happen for this team to be the best version of itself. So Vanderbilt last year, 39 and 23, like I mentioned, 14 and 16 in SEC regular season play, eliminated in regionals out in Corvallis, and they are the preseason number 10 team in the country. Mark, you're going to be our leadoff hitter on this one. Tell me what you like about Vanderbilt. It starts with Enrique Bradfield Jr. Arguably the best leadoff man in the country. He's certainly up there, right? He's a guy you don't want to pitch to. And he gets on base on second because you can't throw him out. So that's where it starts offensively. But I think the thing I really like about this team is their rotation. When I mean, these are high-end guys, right? They You're talking about Carter Holton, Sam Lubaki, Dan Futrell, and then if the freshman, is it Dukanich? Is that how you say yeah, that? Yeah, Dukanich, yeah. I'm close, right? I yeah, you were right on it. Yeah. I'll get there. But You're I, on I the think, green. Yeah, I think if he pitches the way that some of the Vanderbilt freshmen in the past have been able to, to pitch their expectations, that changes that whole look. But the cool thing is you have other guys, so maybe he didn't have to – he didn't have to jump into the rotation right away, and he can come in at his own at his own pace. So I really like the way that sets up starting pitching standpoint. I agree. For me, it's more that they have a lot of options. Like I don't have a lot of expectation of how exactly the lineup, with the exception of I assume Carter Holton will pitch on Fridays. Other than that, though, you can take a grab bag of Nick Maldonado and Thomas Schultz. Who looks more slotted to close games again, but there is a scenario where he could have a little bit of a different role. But Thomas Schultz and Patrick Riley and Jude Kanich and Sam Hloboki and Devin Fatrell, and you could shake them up in a bag and just pour them out in wherever they land because that's the kind of high-end talent they have. Is it it does feel like the pieces are a little bit interchangeable in role, and that's a great place to be because it means you don't have to be set in your ways, you can play around a little bit. And that's obviously going to be to their advantage. So I agree with you there. I will also agree about Bradfield. And I think there's the other thing about their lineup that I like is that it feels a little bit like a blue collar grinder group in a lot of, in a lot of ways. And some of the Vanderbilt lineups that have been most effective, they've always had star power. Don't get me wrong. But a lot of the Vanderbilt lineups that have been most effective have also had grinder types in the lineup that weren't the most talented guys in the team, but they had a specific role and they played it to a T mm-hmm. and you knew what you were going to get. And they were, they played the game a certain way. And I think they've got some of those guys and Bradfield, even though he is a high end talent is also that mm-hmm. kind of guy because he's, it's not just that he's super fast, although he is, he's also an incredibly intelligent base runner and is a master. You don't, go whatever it was, 46 for 46, which Kentucky fans continue to, by the way, send along that video and say, oh, 46 or 46, huh? And then show a video of him getting picked off, which like, yes, I, I get your point. It was cool in the moment for Kentucky to have that happen. He still went 46 or 46. The pickoff does not count as a caught stealing. But anyway, we digress there. You don't just have that happen because you're fast. You have it happen because you're a master of the craft. And he really is. And so he fits into that, even though he is a high-end talent, not only offensively, but defensively, but he also is just a cerebral player and really is blue collar in the way he goes about that kind of stuff. So I'm eager to see how that lineup performs in that 
regard. Let's talk a little bit about questions, though, Mark. Go ahead with uh, where you have questions about this Commodores team. What's the middle of the lineup going to look like? Because Bradfield's always on base. Who's going to who's going to drive him in? And that's the big question for me. Is it the Duke transfer, RJ Shrek? Is it Parker Nolan or Bulger or someone else going to step? Maybe it's one of one of the one of the guys who's going to make a jump that we aren't even talking about right now. It's not even in the lineup, but they need somebody to step in or some group of guys to step in and be that be those thumpers in the middle of the water. And it doesn't have to be home runs, but you're going to hit with men on you got to find a way to, to, to get those runners in. Agreed. I have a pretty I talked about the grinder mentality in the lineup, and I think that carries over into it being a pretty good defensive alignment. Alan Espinall looks to be catching. He's a better defensive piece than Jack Bolger. Jonathan Vastine is taking over at shortstop, which slides Davis Diaz to second base. And this is all on paper. Of course, things can change, mm-hmm. but that creates a better defensive alignment there. So I, they're good there. The question is going to be how much are they going to hit and how much physicality is there? With yeah. Shrek, there, there's a floor for Shrek. His year last year wasn't as good as his 2021 season when it was a monster year. So they're obviously looking for him to be more of the 2021 version of RJ Shrek. But is it Jack Bolger taking a step forward? Is it Parker Noland? Is it, maybe it's not the physicality. Is it RJ Austin, the freshman, stepping up and pairing with Enrique Bradfield as a super athletic guy who can make things happen in the lineup? Are we thinking about it too close-mindedly, I guess is what I'm saying. Are we looking for there to be two or three guys who hit 15, 17 home runs when instead maybe it's a bunch of guys who do a lot of other things well and the pitching is good enough to support that. So maybe we're just not being quite as open-minded enough about how this offense can be effective and maybe not by the traditional standard. But I will agree with you in the big picture that my question, is this offense going to be productive enough? Because there are questions there, whether it's because it's guys who are new faces. I just mentioned RJ Austin guys who don't have a long trek record, Davis Diaz, Jonathan Vastine, guys like that, or guys who have been solid but haven't taken that next leap, Nolan, Bolger, etc. That's the big question I have as well. Let's well, jump to Mark, what does this team have to do to be the best version of it? Figure out the lineup first, just like what we talked about, but I think the other thing to focus on is maybe a guy like like Riley who has all the talent in the world, he just it just hasn't clicked with any consistency. If if he moves into the rotation, if he's that good, all of a sudden you're talking about a different level. You're talking about a Tennessee level or a Florida level or maybe LSU. You're at that level from a rotation standpoint. That's a game changer, man, because that, that eliminates how many runs you need to score from your offense. That's really the question. So it's two ways to look at it. Either your offense need, needs to evolve to the point where you're scoring more runs or you're these elite pitchers, it clicks. And you don't need to score as many because they're, you're, nobody's going to get any off them. I think that's one of those two things. And if you get them both, oh my goodness, you're back in the For me, this is a, a pretty broad answer, but I'm not even overly concerned with where this happens. But I think for it to be the best version of, of Vanderbilt, they need some of the veterans who have been around to become superstars and key pieces. And I think it goes back to what you said at the very beginning of the episode, where you said, I really like the high-end guys, and I could not agree more. But what does that next group of players look like for Vanderbilt? What's that? What's the next group of guys who can be the, the backbone, for lack of a better way of putting it? Meat in the sandwich, if you will, whatever metaphor you want to use. 
And that's where this comes in. So I think there are options all around. We talked about Noland and Bulger. Can they become middle of the order boppers on a potentially all conference kind of level? I think it could also happen on the mound. You mentioned Patrick Riley. On the right day, he uh, runes Mike Rooney in his fall report on Vanderbilt wrote this line, and I could not agree more, that if you catch Patrick Riley on the right day, he looks like a big league starter. It's the stuff, it's the build, it's all of it. But he hasn't consistently been that guy. Nick Maldonado had an off year for him last year. Is it him? Can he get that back? Is it Hloboki, who's Sam Hloboki, who's dealt with injuries last couple of years, and he showed a lot of promise early in his career and hasn't been able to replicate that through no fault of his own, is what it is. Is it Devin Fattrell, who was great as a midweek starter last year? Then they put him in the rotation, in the weekend rotation, late in the year, and it didn't go as well. Can he take that step to become the guy who can get it done on the SEC weekends as well? So whether it's on the mound, whether it's on the position player group, somebody who's been a part of this program for a couple of years and just hasn't taken that next step, I think there's a subset of those guys that need to take that step forward for this Vanderbilt team to end up reaching its ceiling. Cool. And you're right. Ultimately, this is a team with Omaha. We wouldn't have them ranked 10th if we didn't think they had Omaha upside. But it, it's certainly if the high end talent here is good enough that if the middle of the roster, if you will, collectively takes that step forward, there, there's nothing. There's really very little between this team being a, a national title type of contender. Absolutely. Certainly, we will have our eyes on that. Big first weekend for Vanderbilt. They're playing in the Globe Life Tournament. That's going to be a litmus test right out of the gate with games against Oklahoma State, TCU, and Texas from the Big 12. So we will get. We will probably get, we never want to overreact too much to week one results, but we will probably get some sort of idea of of what we're dealing with Vanderbilt pretty early in the 2023 season. So we will be eagerly awaiting that, which is, as you listen to this, that those games will be right on our doorstep, basically. So excited that the season is basically here. So that is going to do it for this edition of the Highway to Hoover podcast presented by Brock's Gap Brewing Company. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon.